0: Hi, I'm Sheila Hamilton and this is Beyond Well, the program where we take a look at our interior lives. I believe we're all on a spectrum of emotionally feeling really good some days to emotionally feeling pretty bad. This is normal life. And this is the program where we examine the extremes and how to stock our emotional toolbox to deal with the not so good days. This show is a repeat of just such an episode. Enjoy. is the author of, get this, 14 award-winning novels, memoirs, and works of nonfiction, including the best-selling Kick-Ass Women series. The reason that I asked her to be a guest is her last book was just so well-written and so on point for what we're talking about It's called In Praise of Difficult Women. And I think that sometimes when we are trying to make decisions and live in integrity with our own values, the outside world might see us as being difficult because the role, especially that women are supposed to take, it is a surprise to people when we actually express our own wants and needs. But Karen Carball made a miraculous move that I think is one that many people, especially women of mid-age, dream about. Making and I hope that you really take away some of this incredible advice that Karen Carbo has about living your authentic life. Karen Carbo, welcome to our program. When I did this, um, started this project, you were one of the first women on my mind because of your willingness to actually leave your country. Leave the country that you had grown up in, where you had all of your success as a writer, and start over. Can you, like, walk me through?
1: Yes. Well, it sounds, you know, the way that the shorthand version of it sounds. That just one day I woke up and and this was this was going to happen. And in point of fact, I'm not sure if it would have happened if we hadn't discovered this place in France. I guess a sidebar is to people who often think, I can't stay in this country. I can't stay in the United States anymore, which I actually wasn't one of those people. Like I just thought you know where where we lived in Portland was great, and we had great friends. But we did in two thousand and ten discover this village in France. And a friend of ours who's uh, an attorney in Portland and a mad, crazy Francophile had discovered this little village named Collioure, And she invited us to come. She did this great thing where she found this big house And she would invite friends to come and basically rent a room room. They all had their own bathrooms for 50 bucks a night. And then that sort of funded her to be able to stay there for six or seven weeks in the early summer. Um, Our daughter was going away to college and she said, why don't you come in September? And, and we just, you know, thought, well, why not? This is the great way to kind of kick off the empty nest. So we went and that was 2010 we fell in love with this place. We kept coming back. Every time we came back, we, like the next year, we did what our friend did, which is basically rent rent the same big house during different weeks and invited friends. And we got to know it and love it. And the other thing that happened that made this possible is that technology kept improving. The first year we came in 2010, There was no Wi Fi in the house. Like we had to take our laptops and go to the internet cafe. It was kind of like this cheesy sports bar where they would watch football and tennis and rugby. And anyway, so, but even the next year, the house in the house that we lived in, they had installed Wi Fi, which was as good as the Wi Fi we had in Portland. And then by the next year, the Wi Fi was faster. Wow. Meanwhile, all of our phones, like the first year, you know, you had to like rent a phone for international travel or you had to get a plan and it was complicated. But by the time like 2017 came, our phones worked. Um, we started bringing work here. We started staying a little bit longer. I would email people and say, I'm writing to you from France. And you know what people, it turns out they didn't really care where I was coming from. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like it was mildly interesting. And it was interesting because we were nine hours ahead of the West coast, but only six hours ahead of New York. So it was very easy to conduct business. And it just occurred to us that because my, uh, husband is in computer technology and security and he now has clients in the u.s and clients here it it was something that our as our love for the village grew and we started knowing people and it just became clear that this was something that we could make work
0: can i ask Um, you about the interpersonal and sort of psychological stumbles first of all how do you get on the same page with your partner? Because I've known people who dream of this kind of fantasy and one year the wife might want to do it and the husband is completely not interested. The next year the husband is so gung-ho and the wife has, you know, she's made friends at tennis, whatever, whatever it is that gets in the way of people actually really problem solving do we do this together so take me through that process
1: i want to say that yes i do know people like that as well oftentimes they're sort of the dream that they kind of hold together but it it changes especially when you start looking at the really practical matters i have to say that we were fortunate and we actually talk about this a lot our degree of interest in doing this we were pretty much on the same page mm part of it there's a couple things i think part of it is where we live you know we both grew up in southern california and where we live the topography and flora and fauna are very similar mm-hmm. to where we grew up and yeah. we're right we're a block from the sea we both grew up with a you know a big beach culture and so i think some of it just fundamentally spoke to a very childlike part of both of us mm-hmm that you know if he had grown up in Boston and I had grown up in Portland like right. maybe that wouldn't have been we wouldn't have been so simpatico on that front that was that and you know he's just pretty game and and I will say though Sheila you know we are also both people that really leap before we look you know it was interesting in 2018 on Ju- June 29th 2018 our daughter got married and on June 30th we were like it is time for us to go because if we don't go now there's going to be a grandbaby, and once there's a grandbaby, I just think I probably, all of my kind of gung-ho, let's do it, would would be compromised.
0: One of the things that you just brought up, and, and this has become a theme for so many women over 50, is they're sort of navigating who am I in this next chapter and what is most important to me is allowing themselves the freedom to say, actually, this is my personal want versus the want of my daughter, grandkids, all of the people in your lives that you have taken care of. And so was there a a process that you went through to sort of unleash yourself from that responsibility and that like, oh my God, what if the baby is born and we, we have a residence here?
1: Well, we moved on May 15th, 2019, and I think by May 30th, you know, two weeks later, we got a phone call and our daughter was pregnant. Yeah. Like, I think they took us to the airport and then went home and got busy because they were like pregnant instantly. And I, in my <laughs> mind, I thought they would take a minute, you know, take a minute to be a couple. And I guess, you know, that's maybe just a generational difference. But they just
0: um, needed you to get out of the country to feel like Oh my
1: life. God. Right? So... <laughs> I mean, I think about it every day, I have yeah. to say, because now um, our granddaughter, Luna, is two and a half. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how things would have been different if COVID hadn't happened. Yeah. Because in we were stuck in a way, like there was a moment in time. I mean, I guess Americans could always have gone back, mm-hmm. but um, it just didn't seem prudent to travel. So we were stuck here in a way and uh you know that complicated matters but i did think and i do think and i talked to my daughter a lot about am i somehow you know making a mistake in term of my in terms of my relationship with my granddaughter to not be there and we talk about it a lot you know they i think um they weren't unhappy to not have us breathing down their neck but i do think right now i mean my son-in-law's family is in california and so they, they sort of see each other a lot more. Mm-hmm. And my ex-husband is in Portland. And so, you know, he's there. So there's plenty of grandparents. Mm-hmm. But it is something I struggle with a teeny bit. I really sit and I kind of do this thought experiment. And I say, okay, I never moved here. I'm in Portland. And what does that look like? Do I come over and sit on their couch every day? Mm-hmm. How much do I babysit? And, and you know, like, what, what does that life look like? And I don't think my daughter would want me to come and sit on our couch every day. You know, and we've been back to visit and they're hoping to come next summer. And, you know, I try and think what advantage is it for my granddaughter to have a a little bit of a foot in France? So I don't know. But I mean, to answer your question, I do think about it a lot. I haven't come to any place where I've rested in peace and harmony. Interestingly enough, I, my daughter and I have more contact with each other over, you know, FaceTime and so forth than we would have had. I lived in Portland because, you know, when someone's there, you just think, oh, I'll see him. Totally. So, but it is the thing. It is a thing. I have no answer other than I still feel like we made the right choice.
0: I'm looking always at this sort of synergy between these interviews and these conversations with women. And I love that even if you become 100% committed to your version of how you want to live this part of your life with more creativity or with more passion or in a different country, that it is never a settled matter, that you always have that psychological what if, if I should... All of that training that we've had, I think, as women to say, am I doing enough for others and am I doing enough for my community? Am I enough? One of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you was your book was kind of about how do we shed a lot of this expectation? How do we actually make it okay to do what we believe is best in this moment and in this time of our lives?
1: Well, you know, you make a choice that you think is the right choice, but that doesn't mean that you don't have doubt or places where you're unsure. Not that it's a a binary choice, but I think you know, people or women who decide, well, I can't do that for myself. I have to stay here. I have to be able to be a grandparent or be there. Then, then I'm sure they're thinking about what is it that I could be doing in this sort of latter part of my life to really enrich myself that I am not doing. And praise of difficult women, you know, a lot of these women made bad choices, interesting choices, un- you know unusual choices. But I think at the end of the day, they were willing to pay the price for living for stepping fully into who they were. Mm. It's not that anything is free. And it's not that just because you're being true to yourself in that way, you don't have second thoughts. Right. It's that what do you give up when you completely turn off that part of you, you know, that is so vibrant and curious and interested about the world because you believe that you need to, you know, be the grandparent.
0: I was, as a young journalist, completely riddled with guilt to go back to work. My daughter was really into me being home. She was super into it. And it was only in our conversations, like when she was 12, 13, 14, that she told me how proud she was that she had a working mom and that she thought it was super cool that she got to go to concerts and be backstage. So all those years I'm riddled with the guilt and the feeling that this is horrible. And actually in conversation with the person it impacted most, she's like, No, that was really cool. I was really different than the rest of the kids. I loved that.
1: And also what you were modeling for her, even if she didn't like it when she was teeny, yeah, was more powerful, I think, than if you had been scurrying around closing all that part of yourself off. Yeah. Because what you know, our kids, they do they do, they see it all and they get it all. And and it's interesting now, this is sort of a sidebar, but I, I have some friends with sons who seem a lot more willing to be maternal in the way that involves doing their laundry all the time. Well, they yeah. should probably be doing their own laundry <laughs> by now.
0: Um,
1: but mothers of daughters are like
0: this. You know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> was there any part of this decision that you think harkened back to like a seven-year-old you, a part of you that was just a total adventure of, you know, like make that decision and go be in that moment?
1: Well, a couple things, yes. First is that my, um, my father was actually born in Poland. Oh, and wow. so he moved with his family to Chicago when he was nine years old. I grew up in Southern California and he was always kind of the weird dad. He was not the dad who was out barbecuing, doing cannonballs into the swimming pool. He was like a reader, he was erudite. He was thoughtful he had like impeccable kind of european manners and he was sort of the weird dad and i adored him and my grandmother's english was incomprehensible so i am i'm first generation on that side we were not there in the united states that long yeah really it's not like they came over on the mayflower so you know how i saw my dad being in the world from the time i was born was a more european orientation yeah. So I, I felt like it wouldn't be completely weird. And plus, I had been to France like about 27 times by then. And then also, you know, my mother died when I was 17. Mm-hmm. You know, she had dreams and things that she had wanted to do that she kept putting off in part because she was waiting for me to go to college, which I did that fall when you lose a parent young or experience something like that, especially one who had wanted to do things that she never got to, is you realize that really things could happen that would keep you from moving forward or doing this thing. Wow. And, you know, part of me thought like, I got to get over here so that I can keep walking up and down the hills of this village before I have my walker and my hip replacements. And when you lose someone young like that, my mother was 46. Like you realize like, if you're going to go, if not now, when you know what's going to happen.
0: That's right. There's no dress rehearsals. Um, and it going feels on. really
1: real totally. in a really actionable way when you're when you've had that. So I think those two things, and and also a just irrational ability to think I'm going to be fluent in French before right. I die. And yeah. It kills me. It may kill me,
0: but <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. You? If someone, and and I'm not going to say that other women listening might have the desire to move to France, although many people do, of course, but say they have the desire to ride again or to ride horses again, or to do something that other people might deem really, really crazy. What questions do you ask yourself about what is going to be most important for you at this stage to actually help you zero in on what to do next?
1: You know, we, we all <laughs> we have Marie Kondo to thank for sparking joy. But I think all of us know instinctively something that sparks joy, that if logistics were not part of it, if money was not part of it, if time was not part of it, what would, you know, make you feel just giddy, mm. delirious? And yes, maybe it's horseback riding, you know, maybe it's ballroom dancing, maybe it's painting, I think if that, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we feel that little firework fizzle up in there, be quiet enough to know what that is. I mean, I think a lot of times it's like people will, will be instructive and say, you have to go on the yoga retreat for, And you're thinking, okay, but like, is this going to be my thing? I mean, and, 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 you, you know, but I think that we know, and, and it often, as you suggested, it often does come back to things that really excited you when you were little. And then I think you can work around it. And it's amazing because even a little small dollop, um, like you brought up horseback riding, you don't need to like buy a horse. Like you can lease a horse Mm -hmm. because everybody needs their horses worked. And you can ride that horse once a week for one hour and it can change your life.
0: Oh my God. I, that, that just gave me chills. I think that's some of the best wisdom that I've heard around this because I think what happens is people say, I don't know what to do because I really don't know what my passion is. I gave up my entire first few decades to my family and I don't know what I'm passionate about. And what you've just opened the door to is, can you try it for an hour? Can you try that thing that you've yeah. that you that you've dreamed about or you loved or... and? You know, you don't have to go get a barn and a farm. You just have to yeah, exactly. get on a horse for an hour. You know, that's exactly really wonderful.
1: Prioritizing something that gives you so much happiness then allows other people to do that for themselves because there's not enough happiness.
0: Karen, I'm just going to kind of close by asking a really practical question about the practical obstacles that you guys faced. I've followed your blog and absolutely love reading the minutiae of adapting to French life, not just the language, but the forms and the getting this done. And how do you reconcile kind of the dream that we want for our life versus this drudgery reality when it comes to adapting to something new and challenging?
1: Yeah. Well, what my hope is, is that if your little spark is you want to ride a horse, you also have the kind of temperament that isn't going to mind picking up a lot of horse shit, you know? I mean, <laughs> cause you wouldn't maybe feel joyful then if you knew, cause really also not- having a horse is a lot of boring, hard, dirty, stinky work. Yes. yes. So I'm trusting that if you get your fireworks that, then you're going to, then that part of your temperament doesn't mind that so much.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We've had, you know, you hear a lot about moving here and like there's so much paperwork yeah. But, you know, as someone who supported herself as a writer since 1990 and gotten grants and done taxes and stuff, paperwork is nothing like my life is paperwork. So I was not afraid. Now, if I had been, you know, worked in a corporation or had been at home and the idea of, of doing a lot of paperwork was new to me, I might have some trepidation. But I was already like the paperwork queen. So I'm like, bring it. I have every piece of paper. And it's true. The French require every piece of paper that your hands have ever touched uh, regarding an issue. Yeah. So yes, there's trepidation in making a start, but I, I, I want to suggest that if it has sparked enough joy in you to get yourself off your ass to do it, hopefully your temperament is such that the obstacles while perhaps being challenging are not going to overwhelm you. Hmm.
0: Do you, you, ever, re- you ever regret your choice, Karen?
1: Not a minute.
0: Isn't that crazy? <laughs>
1: No. And, you know, something else really wonderful has happened. Um, Normally, you know, I mean, this is you were talking to women and then, you know, they're dragging their spouses around, you know, against their will sometimes. But Jared has just by sheer luck, our next door neighbors, they live in Paris, but they're here half the time. And Jared and Mark have become like the kind of friends boys make when they're in sixth grade they ride motorcycles they do handiwork around the house they play bulls. and so he is perhaps happier than i am because he has a best friend in the way that men don't traditionally have that so that would have never happened had we yes. not
0: and so people have to allow themselves the opening that what you decide for yourself when you're sparking your joy or going returning to your you know previous self is that it might actually be better your partner exactly.
1: right exactly amazing and this was just value added like we just happened to luck into this and also i think because during COVID, during the confinement, is the confinement they called it here you know mark and Marie-Pierre were here and we were all stuck together so we became friends with them in a way that had we not all been stuck here we would we wouldn't have so even in that case something that seemed un- very unfortunate for many many people you know wound up being not so bad for
0: us and oh, well, a blessing i i just want to drop the hint that um as soon as we are completely out of COVID, because i'm like you i'm a little more cautious than many people i am coming to your writer's retreat in Couleur. is that how you say it in well it's i'm not
1: i'm not even sure i still say call you
0: oh I well i'll never be able to do that
1: no you might you might have to move here <laughs> cool you. But,
0: yeah. but um, <laughs> it's been one of my dreams to do one of these retreats in a fabulous place with a fabulous mentor and have that kind of um, just the, the partnership of other women in creating what's next.
1: We love doing this. I, I just, um, you know, I hope that people are having a magical time and a transformative time and amazing food because the food is also incredible.
0: Do you have any advice for other women who might feel a little stuck?
1: Yes, I do. And I think because
0: we're all
1: so go, 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 so many things that we do, you know, I think, first of all, not like leaping into action, but just allowing yourself to kind of fantasize about what what would that thing be? And and just do a little like sort of lucid dreaming without making any plans, without just let it see if it can it can kind of take root because we're so busy. Just just ha- first having some mercy on yourself for all you do. Like that's important for the first part. And then just allow yourself while you're doing your walk at 5 a.m. or your whatever to imagine what that thing would be.
0: Well, I have kept you from your French happy hour and I know how important <sighs> that is to you. <laughs> it's been so wonderful to talk to you. I have loved this conversation.